0: When you look at your life, are you confident that you are in the faith? Have you trusted Jesus to forgive you? Do you desire the things of God?
1: Welcome to A Better Word with Dr. Nick Katsky, Senior Pastor of Old North Church in Canfield, Ohio. I'm your host, Brian Dolan. Today we move on to Part 2 of a message in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 13 called Testing Yourself somebody might say, whoa, Pastor Nick, wait a minute. I walked down the aisle. I said the prayer of salvation. Why would I have to do any testing here?
0: That's a great question. I think there are a lot of people that go through life thinking that. Or perhaps I know all of the details of the gospel message. I know about death, burial, and resurrection. I know about the forgiveness of sins. I know about the nature of sacrifice. So why would I have to test myself to see if I'm in the faith? And Paul gives the answer, and he sees what's playing out in the church in Corinth, and we can see that today as well, that there is a difference between a mental assent to the reality of Jesus' existence and having genuine faith
1: in him. My presumption would be that genuine faith produces some sort of transformation.
0: That's exactly right, and that's what Paul is getting to. When you see these elements of transformation
1: in your life that points to true and genuine faith. So you're saying somebody could actually be in church every week and not be transformed all the time. Wow. Today's message could be convicting. Again, part two of a message from Dr. Nick Gatsky called Testing Yourself.
0: When I come to exercise discipline, I will come in strength just as the Lord Jesus displays his strength Through the resurrection. This is a warning. These are stern words. And nobody likes to be sternly warned. The call is to repent. And this call is made even clearer in verses five through seven. So look at it with me. He says this. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail the test? To examine yourself in the faith or to test yourself to see if Jesus is in you is the call to the Corinthians. And this, of course, implies that you could think you have been in the faith, but you've been wrong. And that's a sobering thought. And the fact that some people have false assurance of their faith doesn't necessarily imply sinister motives, though it could. You could be in knowing rebellion against God and still think that you're okay with God, or you could be sincerely wrong about something And have no sinister motive attached to it. And today in our culture, we have this dynamic where there's a squishiness all around truth and sincerity has been elevated almost to the level of importance as actual fact or truth. And so someone might say something like, it doesn't really matter what you believe or what you do, just as long as you do it with good intentions. Just as long as you engage it with sincerity, God will most surely look kindly upon you and honor those intentions, even if they're wrong in their execution. But friends, that's not the way that God works. Jesus says as much to a bunch of sincere people in Matthew chapter 7, Verses 21 and on, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so what are we to do so that we don't find ourselves in the same position? Where can you find good assurance and solid confidence that you are in the faith, that Jesus is in you, as Paul says? Well, he tells us to examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. And then he states it another way, test to see if Jesus is in you. And that begs the question, how do we examine ourselves? It's interesting to notice that here in chapter 13, Paul doesn't really tell us precisely how to examine ourselves or what to examine ourselves against but it seems as if what he is saying to the Corinthians would apply to us, that the standard by which they are examining genuine faith against is the reception of the apostle and his teaching himself. If you accept the teachings of the apostles, this is an indication that you are in the faith. If you reject Paul and his message, then it is an indication that Jesus isn't in you. And so what is that teaching? What do we see more broadly? Because certainly we see throughout the New Testament a number of ways that we can try to validate whether or not our faith is genuine or whether or not it's just feigned in its nature. And I can think of at least four that are worth at least brief consideration. Throughout the whole New Testament, we see that there is a standard of examination with regard to belief, don't we? Certain things that we believe. In fact, Jesus points again and again and again to a regular invitation through the gospel of John, and that invitation is very simply, believe in me. (laughs) Believe in me. Believe that I am the son of God. Believe that I'm the one who takes away the sins of the world. Believe that I am God here on earth. Believe upon the Lord Jesus and be saved. Paul indicates the same in the book of 1 Corinthians, the first letter to this church. In chapter 15, he talks about a very specific belief, which is the evaluation of your salvation. He says in chapter 15, verse one, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you... Believed it in vain. This gospel received in which you stand, by which you're being saved, unless you believed it in vain, which means unless you didn't truly believe it. (laughs) Belief is the standard. He says, I delivered to you of first importance of that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, then he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12. So what is the standard by which we examine ourselves? Well, the first one is very obviously and clearly belief. The second one, I think, is what we might say is associated with belief, and that that is what we could call disposition. What is your disposition toward God especially as it relates to your sin? There seems to be a disposition toward sin which often accompanies genuine belief. Whether that's in Acts chapter 2 when the Jews who learn that Jesus is truly the Christ, the son of God says they are cut to the heart and they cry out, what must we do to be saved? That's a disposition of sorrow for their sin and a desire for God. Or 2 Corinthians chapter seven, Paul writes in verse 10, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly grief, feeling grief about the sins that you have committed toward God. That's a disposition. Sometimes people have the opposite disposition with regard to their sin when they feel conviction. I think of the well-known professional golfer who was playing in a tournament a number of years ago with President Gerald Ford, fellow professional golfer Jack Nicholas, and the evangelist Billy Graham. And at the conclusion of the round, one of the other pros on tour asked, hey, what was it like to play with President Ford and with Billy Graham? And the other pro said with disgust, I don't need Billy Graham ramming his religious stuff down my throat. He stormed off to the practice tee. And his friend followed him. And after he gave his colleague some time to pound out his fury on a bucket of golf balls, he said, it was all Billy pretty hard on you out there in the golf course today. And the professional golfer said, with embarrassment, no, he didn't even mention religion. So Billy Graham said nothing about God, nothing about Jesus, nothing about religion. And this professional golfer walked away accusing him of trying to ram religion down his throat. Why did he feel that way? My guess? Because he was feeling conviction of sin, and instead of responding in grief toward God, he responded in pride and self-justification. But friends, genuine repentance, if you're really in the faith, has a disposition of grief for your sin toward God. And so, the question is just simply this, do you feel sorry for the sins that you've committed against God? Do you? Godly grief produces repentance, which leads to salvation. And so, test yourself to see in your faith, what are your beliefs? Do they align with the beliefs that are from the apostles, in the word, not just what you think or feel or want the word to say, but what it actually says. And then what is your disposition toward God with regard to sin? A couple other ways to test yourself. Thirdly is, of course, action, that we are people who don't just profess an intellectual idea or a historical fact, but that actually leads to a change of life. You see this again and again and again throughout the scriptures. John says it well in 1 John three eighteen. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And then lastly, I would say affection. Belief, disposition, your actions in this life. Your life follows your belief. And then there's an affection, a desire, a spiritual desires. Someone says to me, I don't know if my... My brother's a Christian. And my first question is almost always do they have any spiritual desires? Or not? Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 2: like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk. By it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So there's this, there's this idea, right? If you've truly tasted how great God is, then you want more of God. (laughs) You want more of the spiritual things that God gives. You want to understand who he is. You want to understand how he works. He wants to un- you want to understand how you can respond to him. And the point when you take all of this examination together is just very simply this. Genuine faith in the gospel produces a genuine faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Genuine faith in the gospel produces something genuine. Produces Genuine faithfulness. That's Paul's question for the Corinthians. It's a good question for me and for you. Is Christ in you? When you look at your life, are you confident that you are in the faith, not just loosely connected to the faith because you have some kind of general affinity to God or because you go to church or because you come from a Christian family, but have you trusted Jesus to forgive you? Have you turned in grief from your sin? Do you desire the things of God? Paul calls them and by extension me and you to reaffirm our conversion to Jesus. And if you take a big step back and you look at the whole book of 2 Corinthians, he's just hitting this from a lot of different angles and this is what it looks like. It means that you believe upon Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, that you follow the teachings of the apostle as presented in the Bible, that you separate your lifestyle from the lifestyle of the world, that you support God's work and support each other with your money, that you forgive each other when you sin against each other. Are you in the faith? Is Christ in you? When you take a big step back and look at your life, what does your life say about these realities? And then what happens, friends, if you actually examine yourself, which can be a difficult thing to do sometimes, and you're not so sure? Paul tells us in chapter five what to do. He says it in these beautiful words that we implore you, be reconciled to God. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Christ reconciles the world to God by not counting their sins against them, but taking those sins and paying the penalty for them on the cross. And he says it again in chapter six. In a favorable time, I listened to you, God said. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So if you don't know if you are in the faith, you can be sure Put your trust in Christ. That's the call for each one of us. And Paul says to them, I hope that you haven't failed the test because then you're in trouble. And I hope that you would see that we haven't failed the test. Because if they can truly recognize Christ in themselves and recognize Christ in Paul, then they have to acknowledge the genuineness of his apostleship. He's the one that introduced them to Christ. Genuine faith in the gospel produces genuine faithfulness to Christ. Does your life reflect that? He finishes the section by pointing to the fact that despite the fact that he's given them a stern warning, Restoration is the goal. Nobody likes to be sternly written to or talked to. And in verses seven through 10, you see a couple of instances where he's praying for them, very specific things. Sometimes it's easy when we read the Bible to look over those words. We pray, I pray. Pause there with me for a minute because those reveal the motives, the desires that Paul has for these people and the desires that he has for you. This is what he says in verse seven. We pray to God, our desires before God, that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. We pray that you would do what is right, even in the midst of the struggle, do what is right. Paul doesn't want vindication. He simply wants what is best for them in the sight of God. And then he says in verse nine, something else he prays for. We are glad when we are weak and you are strong Your restoration is what we pray for. When he says that he's glad that he's weak, he would rather continue to appear to be weak because of the persecution in his life than have to come to them in the strength and stern discipline that they might be forcing upon him. He would rather see their strength by way of their repentance And him to continue to appear weak because he wants their restoration. I'm giving you a warning. I'm calling you to repent. I'm giving you a stern, stern word. Not because we are superior to you. We are warning you not because we take joy in condemnation. That so many take joy in. We are warning you because we want to See you restored to God and to restored to his church. Genuine faith in the gospel produces a genuine life of faithfulness to Jesus Christ. Nobody likes to receive a warning. Nobody likes to be on the receiving end of stern words. But when life and death and eternity are at stake, A warning is what is needed because false assurance about salvation is a lot more serious than a duck thinking he's a dog. (laughs) False assurance about where you stand with God is a lot more serious than a lost tourist who's on the East Coast when he thinks he's on the West Coast. False assurance is a dangerous place to be. You know, I wonder about all of those who lined the streets on Palm Sunday, the ones who laid down their cloaks on the ground, who shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those who in that moment didn't know who they were and thought they were aligned with God they had false assurance because on Friday, the truth came out (laughs) when the same ones shouted, crucify him. Or perhaps it's the person who walked an aisle and said a prayer at some point in their life. And then nothing ever changed. They said the words they had, some kind of interaction around religious ideas, but they did not internalize genuine faith. And so their life doesn't look anything like a follower of Jesus, but they rest at night because they think that walking that aisle was the thing that secures them. Or perhaps it's the person who grew up in a Christian home, who knows the truths of the Lord, who knows the stories of the Bible, who comes to church still even regularly, who associates with a bunch of Christians. But when they actually take the test of self-examination, it reveals through their beliefs or through their disposition or through their affections or through their action That maybe they have had false assurance. Maybe their profession of faith wasn't so genuine after all. Genuine faith in the gospel produces genuine faithfulness to Christ. And don't be confused here. Don't be confused. It's not the activity of faithfulness that brings you to the precipice of eternity and salvation. It's the other way around. It's the faith. God does the work. You do the faith. But there is a proof that that faith is genuine. <laughs> and the proof is what happens after. Over the coming weeks, months, years, and decades. And for some people, and probably even some people here, there are some people that need to understand that they're not actually a Christian so that they can become a Christian. What about you? What about you? You can know for sure. False assurance in this life is combated by what we call perseverance. You can know if Christ is in you as you continue to persevere to the end. It's the proof. I closed this morning thinking about a college cross-country team that ran the race on a golf course. The officials for the race would go ahead. They'd place flags on the course to show the runners where they were supposed to run. A certain color indicated a left turn. A different color indicated a right turn. And another flag color means run straight ahead. There was a race that was marked out for the runners. And if they had any intention of taking home a medal, they had to follow the race as it was marked out. You couldn't decide. Boy, this is a six-mile race, but I really feel like I have about four miles in me this morning. So, I'm going to take a shortcut. I hope nobody minds. You can't look at a particular hill that day and say, that hill just looks a little too nasty. I think I'm going to go around and skip that one today. You have to run the race that's marked out for you. And so it is, friends, in the Christian life. God has gone before you. He knows your end from your beginning. He knows all of the days of your life. And in his great foreknowledge, he has gone ahead of you, planted these flags in front of you. And scripture says, run with perseverance, the race marked out for you. False assurance is combated by perseverance. Are you persevering? (laughs) Genuine faith in the gospel produces genuine faithfulness to Jesus Christ. And so, what does your life say?
1: That concludes today's message on A Better Word with Dr. Nick Gatsky. Now, Pastor Nick, I want to bring you in here because we are so grateful for the support of folks who listen to this program on a daily basis. It's not just their prayers and their faithfulness listening, but also many give, and it means a lot to us.
0: It really does, you know, your generosity just helps us continue to get the word of God out in a lot of different communities. And so thank you so much for your ongoing help and support in that way. It is certainly encouraging.
1: Yeah, and as a way to say thank you with your gift this month to A Better Word, we wanna send you something. It's a Christian classic by Corey Tenboom. It's a book called The Hiding Place, where she goes through her incredible journey as a follower of Jesus, of trying to protect Jewish people in the midst of World War II and finding herself in a concentration camp. How did she get through it? Well, this incredible story gives the answer to that. Maybe you already have this book and want to use it as a gift to somebody else in your life this season. Again, Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place could be yours with a gift this month do A Better Word. Maybe you could pass it along to somebody else who needs to hear a story just like that. Get your gift in today at abetterword.org. That's abetterword.org. A Better Word is a teaching ministry of and is sponsored by Old North Church of Canfield, Ohio.